Okay, the best kick you ever saw from somebody else. I was like, damn, I can't believe he did that. It's Adam Vinatieri. Is it Vinatieri in the snow? Yeah. Is, is it not? Is it not even a debate? The Tuck Rule game? Yeah, I think his is one A and mine is one B. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. Glad you're with us. And we've witnessed an amazing run in this postseason we're in with the Super Bowl set of what it takes to win a playoff game. And most importantly, you better have a kicker. We have seen so many guys deliver game-winning kicks with time running out and everything on the line. So what better time to drop an episode with a bunch of former NFL kickers and a current NFL kicker? Lawrence Tyne, who won Super Bowls for the Giants. Jay Feely, who now does great work for CBS. And current Niners kicker Robbie Gold, who has still yet to miss a single kick in the postseason. Let's take a listen to the kickers and what goes through their minds, knowing they have one job and they better not screw it up. Okay, so all three of you guys are in the top 50 most accurate kickers in the history of the NFL. I don't know if you knew that uh, with Robbie at the top of the list. Uh, at sixth overall at the time we put this together. That's why he's so still getting let, paid, let me, Trey. That's right. That's hundred <laughs> percent true. So let's let's start with you, Jay. When you hear somebody say "kickers," man, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? Uh, you know, I just think about those moments at the end of games when when no one else wants to be out there and be in your shoes. You know, when you have to go out there and you have to win a game, you have to win a playoff game. You have to be in those situations and, and perform at the highest level in the biggest pressure moments. You know, and I think those, those get discounted when it comes to kickers. And it's easy to look at them when they miss and to blame them. And nobody takes that more to heart than, than each one of us. When you walk in on a Monday after a loss and the entire demeanor of an entire facility is different because of either you making a kick or you missing a kick, Nobody takes that to heart more than the guy walking around who knows if I made this kick, everyone's walking around here happy, joyful, we're high-fiving, we're having a great time, but I miss. And so now we're all walking around with our heads down. We don't want to talk, you know, and, and, and that's a heavy weight and a burden to bear, but that's part of the position. It's what you embrace. Robbie, from your, from your perspective, you know, because everyone says you have one job and it's like, OK, I get that. But, you know, a quarterback's one job is to throw the ball. So I guess he should complete every pass. Right. How, how do you try and sort of figure out and navigate and explain to people, hey, I know what you're saying, but understand you're holding me to a different standard than almost anybody else on the team. Well, I always tell people, thanks for uh, letting me know what my job description is. You know what I mean, <laughs> we could go through the entire list of uh, players and do the same thing. Right. But I think. You know, I think everyone has a job to do. And like Jay was talking about earlier, I think, uh, you know, when you go out there to do your job, it, it obviously hurts when you don't do your job because you could play 59 minutes and 59 seconds. But if you don't make that kick, you know, maybe the Giants don't win against Green Bay um, or Jay hitting the 61 yarder in, in Arizona to, you know, put the team up or you hit a game winner. Uh, against the LA Rams to kick them out of the playoffs, whatever it is. I mean, those are moments that, that you live for. And yeah, sure, we have one job and it's to kick a football, but um, DBs, they're meant to cover a guy and tackle. Offensive linemen are supposed to block a guy and not give up a sack. But uh, the reality is, is no one's perfect. Uh, but I think a lot of it is you just got to put yourself in, in places during the week to position yourself, just like an offense or a defense 
of player does uh, to make sure that you're ready to go by um, Sunday. And, and, you know, obviously you have a game plan just like everyone else does going into the game. Uh, but that game plan starts Monday and it ends on Sunday after uh, the kickoff starts. Lawrence, the problem is like you can't go up to an offensive lineman, right? And say, hey, man, you missed that block. Mm-hmm. Cause at the end of the day, that's never going to end well for you. Never. And one of my favorite lines in, in <laughs> pro football is everybody wants to be a kicker except on Sunday. And that's true because they want our work schedule. But the thing is, if you build the equity up during the week and during the offseason with your teammates, right? Like you lift with them, you run with them, you sweat with them, you know, that builds equity because you know at some point, I tweeted this last, you're going to miss. You're going to miss a kick that, like Jay says, affects the building, affects the organization. But as long as you're one of the guys, and I know these two guys on here with me are, like they do the work, they put the work in. Guys see that, respect it. So I would tell young guys, do that. Earn the respect of your teammates because at some point, you're going to miss a big kick. That's just the nature of the position. And guys are not going to look at you side-eyed, right? I mean, they're going to respect you. They understand you're one of them. So, obviously, it's a pressure-packed position, and that's why we all love doing it. I mean, that's you love turning around after a big kick and seeing – you know, 30 year old men act like kids again, because that's that's the best part about it. That's that's why we loved it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I retweeted that when you put that out there. And I guess, Jay, are you surprised more kickers don't embrace that part of it? Like, you know, they're, kickers at some time, you know, training game, oh, they're out there practicing their golf yep. swing. Not you, even though your swing is butter. I know that. And Robbie, yours is, too. I want to be mm-hmm. clear. I've seen your I've seen <laughs> both your swings. But like, are you surprised that more kickers don't sort of understand that part of it and what Lawrence was talking about. I think they do now. I think if you look around, you go and you look at the number of kickers that have been elected captain on their team. You're not getting elected by your teammates as a captain if the guys in your team don't respect you tremendously. You look at the number of guys that have been chosen to be NFL player reps. You know, every year you go to the NFL PA meetings and, and, you know, Robbie and I were there for a long time and kickers, punters, and long snappers were more represented than anybody else in the league. Um, you know, and so there's a respect there. They're, you're there making the decisions about their financial livelihood for the rest of their lives and their, fin- and their, and their physical health as well. So there, there's certainly respect within the locker room. I think it's just how it gets translated outside of the locker room, whether that's former players that played in a different era that have this mindset that's totally different than the guy now. I mean, the kickers now, the kickers and the punters, they're as strong as anybody, you know, they're out there. I mean, not Robbie, but every, you know, like most, most <laughs> what happens when you get 38, you know, <laughs> the leg string slows it. down a little bit, but, 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 but I think the guys now they have embraced that mentality. The majority Let me just piggyback of off so that real quick, Trey, cause I, I was sure. at the Monday night yeah. football game on the field with my boys. And I don't know if you've ever seen Harrison Bucker in person. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's a big boy. I mean, that dude is 6'4", 225 pounds, and he looks like, you know, five, ten years ago, maybe now, he could play tight end in this league. Like, he's that – Joey yeah. Sly? He's, way, oh he's a little word. bit too jacked up for me. But, <laughs> but like, like Harrison just looks like a smooth, sleek athlete that could do anything he wants. And that's kind of where this position has gone. They're so good now. It's yeah. unbelievable. So so what we're saying is there's fewer Jeff Reeds in the NFL. Right? Uh, that that's what we're saying. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. That's very true. <laughs> Wait, you want you want to talk about a guy who was out there great, when yeah. he was out there. Yeah, he was fun. 
He likes, uh, didn't he get in a fight with a, like a towel dispenser in a bathroom or something? Yeah, and I think the towel dispenser won, I think, I, I on think that so. evening. I'm pretty sure the <laughs> towel dispenser won. All right, so I'm always curious at the journey, right? Because I know all of you guys are, are huge sports fans, and you played a bunch of stuff. And, you know, Jay still buys those Schmedium golf oh, yeah. shirts when he's out there. He's ripped to hell. But, but Robbie, let's start with you. When did you realize that your best career path in sports was going to be as a kicker? Well, I think when I realized I was 150 pounds soaking wet walking into Penn State, right? I mean, I knew that I wasn't going to play wide receiver because I didn't have the speed. I didn't have the size to play defensive back. And quite frankly, I didn't want to get hit either. So um, <laughs> as a soccer player growing up, I could care less to play any other position. Uh, but I thought, you know, one of the things that was kind of unique is I had an opportunity to walk on at Penn State, which is uh, right in my backyard. And play at a big-time university and get a really good education. So I was like, you know what, if I don't play for a couple of years, I only get two or three years in. Um, I'm doing something that other people don't necessarily get a chance to do. So I was lucky enough to get a scholarship uh, at Penn State after my first year. Uh, and then really, like, when I got to the end of my career, which wasn't great at Penn State, I was like, let's just give it a shot and see what happens. If I didn't go to New England with Brad Seeley and Adam Vinatieri, my career would trajectory would have been completely different in the National Football League. And until this day, like, I'll always be thankful to Bill Belichick and, and what Brad Seeley and, and those guys did for me. Um, but my for sure, my career would have been totally different. And I realized then that I was probably only going to be a kicker with guys like Mike Vrabel and uh, Teddy Bruschi and Corey Dillon and Rohan Davey. I mean, Rohan Davey was like a 250 quarterback, quarterback from LSU, yeah. I mean, think about that, right? So um, that was kind of my aha moments, I guess, uh, to why I would only be a kicker at 185 pounds uh, but i'm curious because one of the things you always hear about quarterbacks coming out of the draft uh well you know uh, not many of them get more accurate in the nfl as they were in college and josh allen is an outlier and that matt safford is an outlier how did you become more accurate as a kicker uh in a more difficult situation you know the reason i went to new england is because of adam benetary he was a guy that i looked up to as a young kicker uh, I knew that when I went there, I was going to change from a three-step to a two-step kicker, which made me a lot more accurate. Uh, but I think the pedigree of the Super Bowl culture that they had uh, was really what I learned, right? And I learned what it took to play in the NFL, but play at a high level. Um, and I knew every day I had to go out and compete with Adam, even though I probably wasn't going to get the job, obviously. Um, but anytime you're competing with guys that are the best at your position, I think that's what makes it so much better to go out and be ready to play on a Sunday. Because if I can compete with Adam Vinatieri, I can play in the NFL. That's just how I felt. Um, and here we are 17 years later. I'm sitting in the middle of Levi's Stadium, getting ready to go down to meetings here in a little bit and uh, discuss another tough loss at home. But, um, you know, I think it's just – it's amazing to be able to go out there and want to compete at a high level. But also, I hate missing, yeah. you know. And – like Jay said earlier and, and Lawrence and those guys, I'm sure you guys would say the same thing. Like, you know, when you come in and you, you miss, it's different when you come in and make everything right. Because you're going to dwell on the miss more than the makes, even if you made a 54 yarder to tie the game, but you missed the extra point somewhere in the middle of the game that you had to have the, the three point, like in the games that you'll see where the extra point you miss, but you make the field goal to win by two. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you're going to dwell on the extra point, not the one that you yeah. made. Um, Lawrence, you need to tell us about the great Scottish to Pensacola mm -hmm. to the NFL transition, because apparently that's the way for kickers. You and Graham Gano, right, same area in Florida, both came over from Scotland yeah. at the same age and and, and uh, both made it to the NFL. It's, it's a wild story, right? Um, you know, I grew up the same way playing soccer. 
Um, I was a small kid in ninth grade. I was five, three, 90 pounds. So six to 200 pounds is what I ultimately ended up playing in the NFL at, but I didn't grow until my junior year. So I went back out for football and said, you know what? I think I can do this. I played safety and I kicked, but of course, same thing with Robbie, no scholarship offer, walked on at Troy close to home. A lot of good football players from my high school that went up there and, you know, playing in college, I, I never had visions of playing pro football. I just thought, let me see how good I can be at this and see what happens. And so, you know, I started my journey undrafted in Kansas City. I go to camp against Todd Peterson. I get cut, went to NFL Europe, come back, Chief signed me again. I go to camp with Morton Anderson, get cut. I mean, then I said, you know, I need to go to like the CFL, get two years under my belt, made the all pro teams. Um, and then I had like seven offers coming out of um the CFL. And so I was like, okay, they're offering real money. This is a real deal. I chose Kansas city again because Morton Anderson was like 107 at the time. And I knew, <laughs> I knew I could, and he still, and he played, still played after me. Yeah, um, no so I ended up ultimately one of the biggest feathers in my caps is that I beat him out. He was still playing at a pretty yeah. high level. We both, we both did. There yeah. And then Jay did it. And so, um, you know, Dick Vermeil took a chance on me. And playing in Kansas City, I'm forever grateful to the Chiefs. I, I make my home here. Um, you know, it was a, it was a hell of a journey, and it was my last chance. You know, for me, I told myself, I'm 25 years old. This is it. Like I know I can do it, but as as the guys will tell you, it's a matter of being in the right place at the right time. Um, I was getting, you know, I wasn't I wasn't making any money. I made a little bit of money in the CFL, and I was like, man, I'm going to be 26 years old. And I haven't played in the NFL yet. So that was my last stop. Thankfully, I made it um, and the journey began. And, you know, it was a hell of a ride. And, and Robbie's doing it, you know, still 17 years later. It's incredible to watch. Uh, and, and Jay, you Sorry, just yeah, real quick. Go ahead. Like one of the things I think that you, people need to realize with kickers is there's only one kicker on every roster. Right. There's only one punter on every roster. 32 people but, in the world. I tell people yeah, that all so the time. Like, there is going to be for a lot of people, multiple stops, like everyone here, especially on this call, but there's not a lot of people who get drafted and, and get to stay on their team for 25 years. It just doesn't happen. Right. So I think what's unique is the guys that are on this call literally are the best at their position in the world. Like only 32 people get to do it. And if you don't do it at a high level, the reality is you're probably going to get cut yeah. the next week. Jay, you you went to Michigan, and uh, did you have aspirations of maybe doing something else besides kicking at some point, or did you always know this is the way? No, I, I was a soccer player like these guys. And I actually, it's funny because I went the opposite way of Lawrence. I, I would go over to Europe every summer in high school to play soccer. And when I was over there in Europe, when we were 16, we played Ryan Giggs with Manchester United, who hadn't been brought up yet. Uh, and then we played a couple of guys from Tottenham who they were, they were our age, but they were on the Premier League team not playing. They brought them down and they played us and they absolutely smashed us. And that was the moment I was like, okay, I'm not going to be a pro soccer player. Uh, and I came back and really started kind of, you know, focusing on kicking a lot more and ended up going to Michigan. And, but, but very similar to Lawrence, like I finished up my career at Michigan and I think I'm going to have an opportunity to get into the NFL. And then for two years, nothing happens. You know, and I'm doing tryouts, and I went to Kansas City and, and did a, a workout for them right before Lawrence did and, and thought I'd get signed by them. They said they would sign me, and then they didn't. And then, um, you know, for two years, I'm going to tryouts and trying to chase this dream. And I was at the point where I was ready to stop doing it because I hadn't even got brought into camp. You know, and finally I get one opportunity, one offer, basically, and, and, and get to go into Atlanta and compete against Jake Arians, Bruce Arians' son. And, 
And I went there because it was uh, it was two rookies getting to compete against each other. We were playing Morton, replacing Morton Anderson. And, you know, all of a sudden you go from not even being able to get a tryout for two years to you're kicking in the NFL. And it, and it took me a couple of years to believe I belonged there, to be honest with you. And you do get better. You know, you get better over time. You learn how to handle failure. You learn how to uh, – your form gets dialed in more and more. I was way better – when I was in my late thirties at long field goals over 50 yards than I was as a rookie, even though my leg wasn't near as strong, but you're, you have a, a swing that you've ingrained for 20 years and you can trust it and you're going to hit the ball. And you think about it like golf, you know, you're going to hit the ball in the club face in the center of the club face each time. And so you're going to get good contact. And that ball is going to jump off and that allows you to be smoother and hit the ball better. Those first couple of seasons before you kind of get that second contract, because you know two bad games, you're gone. We know that, two, three games. But, man, those first two years, th- those were the ones, you know, where it, you guys all know, like, it's we're undrafted, right? All three of us were undrafted. So it's not like they had any equity in us. Um, so that was the challenge. Uh, why don't we take a break here? And when we come back on this episode of Half Forgotten History, we'll get into postseason careers for all these guys. And I will debate whether or not they agree with me about the greatest rule change in the history of the NFL. That's coming up next uh, on this episode of Half Forgotten History. This podcast is presented to you by Visa, a network working for everyone. Overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small businesses lead their teams to victory all year long. And Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help their business and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow. Back with kickers on this episode of Half Forgotten History because you got to have one, especially in the postseason. But before we get into that part of it, because the three men with me here today have had some very interesting times in their NFL careers. I believe this with all my heart, guys. And, and Robbie, I'll start with you. When they move the extra point back 15 yards, it made a play out of something that was not a play. And I know kickers probably hate it, but to me, that's one of the greatest rule changes in the history of the NFL because it opened up a whole possibility of things that could go wrong. Well, here's the thing. I mean, we don't really try to change a lot of rules on the offensive side of the football. Usually when we try to change rules, it's something with the kickers, the punters, or the snappers. I think one of the biggest changes that you've seen on the uh, defensive side of the ball is obviously uh, pass interference calls and uh, hits on any offensive quarterback or offensive player, right? So when they originally did the rule, I was like, why are we messing with the kickers again? Like, seriously, every time we're making a roll, you can't you, – now we, now we get – now we're going to be a yard from the ball on kickoffs. Now we can't get a running start on onside kicks. Now we're going to try to get rid of – like, it's always something to mess with the kickers. But um, I didn't really appreciate the rule change um, when it came out. You know, I originally thought that it was kind of punishing us because it was a play that was just too good at 99%. Uh, to take a game to overtime. And then I started realizing how much changing it to a 33-yard extra point really changed the game. I mean, you can see how kickers now aren't thinking of the extra point as it is an extra point, right? It's literally yeah. a 33-yard field goal, which you're going to have a little bit more uh, misses. But I think guys tend to overlook uh, it. But I think it's brought bigger emphasis and I would say more equity to our position because – uh, you know, you want to obviously a solid kicker on your roster uh, to win games. But I think that 
for sure is a big deal when you go to negotiate a contract is what your extra point is. Now, the question is, how do you, how are you going to talk about the greats, like the Morton Andersons, the, the, the Adam Benateri's, you know, the Gary Andersons in the same context as the kickers that are going through now, you can't compare them anymore. Right. And that's, that's kind of the difficult part of, um, I think, what that'll look like, especially for the Hall of Fame. Robbie's setting up his Hall of Fame resume <laughs> right now. You see that? You see what he's doing, Trey? The Hall of Fame resume. Hey, he's setting hey it up. man, I, I like always that. say no, no one's going like to be a that. bigger booster of you than you. So, you know, shoot or yeah. shoot, yes, Robbie Gold. Shoot it. or shoot. No doubt. That's shoot right. But, 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 I think, but I think that's going to be the most difficult things uh, is how you compare uh, the generations of kickers, just like you would quarterbacks. Yeah. Because, Trey, Trey you, here's what it did, yeah. too. Here's what it did. It, not only did it make it harder for kickers and separate the really good ones from the ones that struggle, because pressure is cumulative. So each kick, each kick that you miss throughout a year, it build, they build upon each other. The pressure mounts. And so when you add in three or four missed extra points, all of those add together to build throughout the year. Now you have six, seven misses in a year, you know, and you're struggling to have to maintain confidence guys are towards the end of the year. But the other thing it did is it, it put a bigger emphasis on head coaches to decide if they're going to go for two-point conversions or not, which was not something prior to that. Because when you when you went from 99% down to 94%, now two two two-point conversions are basically the same as an extra point. And that's what I think I didn't think about prior to the rule change, uh, was just how much more strategy was going to be involved and how much more analytics come into that decision. And I like the fact that head coaches have to take ownership of that now it's so easy to default to the player and just be like okay it's on them go do your job you know but now they have to decide do i go for two points here you know what should i should i cut this lead from from seven to six by going for two you know and and what does that do it i just think it adds an element to the game that wasn't there before well listen you You and i actually went hold on real quick robbie jay you and i went back and forth on twitter about this once because you were like well you know the extra point gives you a a good practice i don't want to see a practice play i want to see a real play you know well that's what it was for us it was an in-game practice it helped you tremendously now robbie and these guys they don't get that it's much harder yeah you cannot miss hit a 33 yarder and make it yeah Yeah, i think you have to you have to strike it well every time. Almost. Yeah, I would just say to Jay's, you know, the, I think the original reason for the rule change was to make coaches go for two because they want to ov- obviously have offensive plays. But I think you're looking at a league where kickers are actually becoming better uh, to stay in the league. You have to have mm-hmm. a higher field goal percentage. And I think the stress of like what Jay was saying about the misses building up, like you lose a game or two on an extra point, well, they're going to get rid of the kicker. I mean, and they're going to find a guy that's going to do it, and they're just going to keep rotating that window. What's ironic, though, is there isn't many coaches going for two-point conversions, which I think the rule change was originally meant to do, right? So um, Doug Peterson is one I know that was big into it, uh, changed the strategy of the game, obviously, by doing that early in the games, but not many coaches are doing it across the league. Well, it's it's interesting because you mentioned Butker earlier, Lawrence, and, you know, he's – Granted, a much shorter career than a lot of guys at the top of the list, but he's he's number two right now behind Tucker in terms of all time accuracy, although with a much smaller sample size of of everybody in this group. But, you know, he went through a funk last year like he could make 58 yarders to win games and the 33 yard extra point. I think he missed like six last year. It Well, it's listen, the position is 99 percent mental. It's one well, percent physical. And the reason. 
Go ahead, the, Robbie. the other thing I would say is he's also getting 90 extra points a year. Yeah. Like, there's a <laughs> yeah. bigger so sample the, size. The sample size. Last, last, year. Year. Yeah, last year. Yeah, yeah, not this year. Like, so I think that if we we're really looking at like this from a like a bigger perspective, like he's getting more opportunities to potentially miss, but he also plays in one of the toughest places to kick in the NFL too. Yeah, Kansas City's tough, and late in the season, that field, as you guys all know, the sand and the slipperiness of it. I hated it. I hated November, December football there because you know you guys all know this. Like when your plant foot's not good, it sucks. And what Robbie did in Chicago blew my mind. I have no idea. Every time I step foot on that field. I peed in my pants just a little bit. I hated I hated. So I never had a good warm-up. I was like, oh, my God, extra points only. Extra points only today. <laughs> and I just never kicked well there. And I didn't play there a lot, thank the Lord. Lawrence, but I had I I my career it. there, played the last four oh. games. And I think the only reason Robbie didn't play, he was hurt a little bit. But <laughs> it, was three, it was three outdoor games at mm. Soldier Field and then one at Minnesota, Minnesota. where they were playing outside. Yeah. You know, so oh he just didn't God. want to play those last four games. He's like, I don't no, blame I think him. My groin hurt a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you can have these four games. <laughs> that place is tough, man. You know, Buffalo. Buffalo's fine because it's turf, right? Give me turf okay. and wind yeah. and cold. Right, I don't so care. So this is interesting because you hear a lot about certain fields, and there's three of them that always come to mind about getting beat up more than anywhere else. Soldier Field in Chicago or whatever they're calling it these days, always is a problem. We know FedEx Field is always a problem. That turf gets beat up. And also Heinz Field, because everybody uses that stadium. Is is that accurate to say those three? Cleveland. I would add add Arizona in there. As funny as that sounds, (laughs) Arizona has one of the worst fields in the NFL. Now, that's interesting. Why Arizona? Do you remember the Hauschka misses? Remember that game where it was like 29 yards or oh, something and year, they were every missing? Every year Hauschka missed Late, there. Yeah. I think it's it's just the sandy base, so man. Phil Dawson. Give, you know, I mean, there was a lot Phil, of guys. It, yeah, it's the sand November, is brutal. So they switched the field out in December. And so it's those November games that are always tough there because that field just – it doesn't grow and, you know, it just gets kind of sandy and nasty. Well, they also have training camp on it in the beginning of the year. So, like, it yeah. doesn't get any rest, right? So, I think, you right. know, between that um, and trying to grow grass on plates in Arizona in, <laughs> in December, as crazy as it sounds, it's cold. It doesn't grow as well um, as other places. But Arizona is one of the softest fields I've ever – and probably one of the hardest places to get your plant foot um, to have good contact on a ball. So, to see guys like Jay and, and Matt Prater and um, – you know, those guys having a lot of success in that place. I have a lot of respect for them, even though it's a dumb. <laughs> I mean, grass and grass in Arizona, good for putting greens, not good for kicking. Is that that's basically right. what we're learning? How many dome game? How many dome games have you guys played in? Because I was looking the other day. Someone reminded me I played in eleven dome games in my entire career. That's it, huh? Wow. You guys would all know this because you're Giants, but the hardest divisions to play in is the NFC East and the AFC North. Yeah. All Makes because sense. there's not Agreed. one game in a other than if you play Dallas, but. I think, you know, you're outdoors in Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cincinnati. And then if you're playing in for the Giants, you go to Washington, Philly, and then you hope to God December's in, in Dallas. New York. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know. Washington so, well, is a challenge. Thing. That's the first thing I always did when the schedule came out was look at December. Like, okay, where are my games going to be in December? You know, <laughs> hoping I had some. Well, I saw the Giants December. are in 
Soldier Field in January. I'd be sick. I'd have COVID-19 that week. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, it's interesting you say that. Like, you Hopefully you play in Dallas because one of the weirdest kicking games ever took place in Dallas in November in 93 in the ice storm, the Leon Lett game, when yeah. you know, Pete Soyanovich just kicked for the, the Dolphins – you know, was blocked. And then everyone's yelling, Peter, Peter, poison, poison, which means stay away from it. Stay away. And here comes Leon Lett, comes in there, touches the ball. They come in and they kick the field goal again, and they go on to win the game. Although, you know, as a Cowboy fan, thankfully, that was their last loss of the year, and they went on to win back-to-back Super Bowls. But we don't need to talk about that. I'm here with you guys to talk about That's your right. postseason Many careers. Lawrence, let's start with you, because uh, obviously as a two-time Super Bowl champ, you have a lot of great memories. But to me, when I think of you in the postseason, I think of the 2007 NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field. Because th- there's two things, three things I remember from that game. One, Tom Coughlin's frozen face. Uh, you yeah. missing a couple of kicks, then going out there and kicking the game winner, and obviously the Brett Favre interception in overtime. So as a guy, which it's rock hard as a surface, and you're trying to uh, – to, to do things and basically kick a, a freaking you know, refrigerator, the ball is so heavy, in, in conditions like that. Tell me about your mindset when you, you've already missed a couple and then you get an opportunity to make it all better. Yeah, that was a huge challenge that night. I mean, that's the most difficult conditions I think I've ever played in. Um, I knew it was going to be tough because in pregame, we traditionally kick about eight or nine kicks on each side. And after our fourth kick in the first half of the warm-up, Jeff Fiegels could no longer catch the football. So we couldn't kick. His hands were numb. He couldn't catch the ball. So we just said, you know what? F it. We're done. We're just going to ride it out, figure this thing out. And so we didn't get a lot of, you know, obviously warm-ups. You can't really prepare for that those conditions. You just have to kind of rely on your technique and say, I hope to God I make all my kicks. We started out two for two. We missed one middle of fourth quarter, missed one late. Um, but, you know, I made a, I had a lot of confidence in my miss from – from from 43 with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, I hit it really good. And I said, man, I could probably make one from 50 going that way. Really? That's why I ran out there. As, it's funny you say that because overtime. I'm like, he ran out there. I think Paul Coughlin made a decision, right? I, I think you wanted to, well, listen, you I was wanted to be, take it out of his. Trey, I was going to be in the bottom of the Hudson River <laughs> if I returned to New Jersey and missed another kick. I was like, I have to go out here. I felt good about, you know, the last one, the operation was a little off. So in my mind, I said, you know what? That's not my fault. So it's, I played a mind game with myself. I hit the 43. Well, I just didn't start it far enough down to the right and I missed it left. So I knew if I could get that ball started, we get a good operation. Um, and Jay Alford was our snapper and Robbie probably knows him from Penn state. I, I mean, played with him at Penn state. Yep. Jay Alford was a D tackle who converted yep. to a field goal snapper when our snapper got hurt. Uh, so we didn't get a lot of work with him, but credit to Jay snapping in those conditions. We got a great snap and hold. Um, I knew I could make it. So for me, um, I wasn't really nervous to say, but I just wanted to make amends. And I knew, to be honest with you, I was on a, a one-year deal. If I don't make that kick, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen. A, I could have been out of the league for the rest of my life, or B, I just don't resign and, and no one ever hears from me. Um, so you just have to have so much belief in yourself, but you know, it was a unbelievable moment. I mean, I, I, I think about it often cause it gets brought up all the time. Listen, Jay, there's a million things I could talk about with you and I, but I want to get to the 25 point game because as, as a kicker, that's a pretty cool card Best to play, right? Time. For those that don't know, in the 2010 the season against the uh, Denver Broncos, the, the Cardinals won 43 to 13 and Jay alone beat the, beat the Broncos with 25 points. You had, what, five field goals, three extra points, and you scored a touchdown. I mean, that's 
That's kind of so, hard to top, right? Like everybody else can have like a Super Bowl ring or or this great kick. You got twenty five points. I'd, I'd trade it for a Super Bowl ring. No, no, Jay, I, I'm I'm with you on that one. Right, you have to lean into it. A twenty five point game. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Well, here, here's the the funny backstory is I actually had a groin injury for about five weeks during that time period. And, and I didn't practice at all for a five-week period. You know, like literally wouldn't practice all week and would just go out there and play in the game. And we had that fake in three or four different times during the year where we called it and we didn't get the right look. And so we checked out of it and just kicked the field goal. And we, we come into that game and we get the right look and we run it. And I end up scoring a touchdown. But I didn't even practice that entire – I didn't practice – I didn't kick one ball that whole week in practice. And here we, we run a field goal, a fake field goal, get a touchdown – you know, I had tore it all going. I was feeling good in the game. And, uh, you know, back back in the day when you could do that, you know, you'd feel good. You go out there and you play. Um, you know, and I think one of the things I'm most proud of is I, I didn't I didn't miss a game in my career. You know, I was able to play through every injury. He I just had called and, both of you soft, by the way. Just want to throw that out. He just called both of you soft. <laughs> yeah, he did. No, I think I – think, <laughs> Listen, one of the things one of the I things just missed three games. Is, I get it. I get it. Hey, one of the things with kickers is we know, like, you miss a game, you might not get back on that roster. You know, and, and for, for the way that the way that I started, the way these guys started, we I think I knew the, my entire career that I was very replaceable and that if I gave somebody an opportunity, I might get replaced. And so it, whether I had to drag my leg with me, I wasn't going to leave that field. I think the other thing on that note about injuries is that, you know, if you get hurt, most likely you're not going to IR, which means you're taking someone else's job. So as a kicker, you know, you don't want to, those are buddies in the locker room. Like they have families, they have kids. So like you try to play through as much as you can, um, unless you really can't swing in order to make sure that those guys can still make a living. Um, and Robbie, with your postseason career, it's interesting because you've been to two Super Bowls, albeit many years apart, Super Bowl 41 with the Bears and Super Bowl 54 with the Niners against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, both of those games, you felt like you, you were going to win, right? Yeah, Indy, Indy was interesting because we, I didn't feel like their special teams unit was going to play as well as they had. I didn't think their defense was going to play as well as they did. You were just like, at some point, it's going to fall apart. And Peyton Manning played an amazing game. Um, he didn't do worst Super Bowl by ever. Worst Super Bowl weather ever. And it was in Miami. It poured the entire game. The entire day too. Like I was like, are you kidding me? We're getting the biggest game of, of the year, <laughs> and I'm I'm still in bad weather. Um, but I just remember Peyton just you know throwing the ball five, four, three yards. Guys making plays. Um, and then they did the pick six, and I was like, the game's over. Uh, the one in Kansas City when we go back to Miami to play. I mean, we hadn't. Our first punt of the game came with like nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. And we were up 10. We're feeling good, playing really well against Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Uh, and then things just kind of went downhill at the five-minute and 45-second mark. Um, that one's going to sting for a very, very, very long time uh, because that's the one we should have won. Porn star Jimmy's got to make that throw, though. He's got <laughs> to make that throw. But you could, you could go the whole way through it. I mean, you could go through the wasp play that we practiced a bunch and – we let them go deep. I mean, there's a, change the game, change the game. It takes a whole team to really uh, lose a Super Bowl, in my opinion. You know, there's a lot of things. There's always one play in every game that changes, and I think that obviously the lost play was the one that kind of kicked it down uh, the road because then they went on to score like 21 points unanswered. Um, 
but you know, I, I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed the second one more than the first one uh, because it was the second, my second year in the league. I had no idea. I was like, Oh, this is easy. It's my second playoff appearance, you know? Uh, and it was just my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister. Now fast forward, you know, 15 years later, and it's, I got three kids. I'm sitting in the hotel room before the game playing catch with my boys, not even thinking about the game, like just enjoying like, you know, just being in Miami again, like, am I going to get the shot to, to, to win a Super Bowl? Um, and then we get done with the game, and my middle son, who's always my biggest critic, is like, Dad, you lost the Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? Oh you let God. Patrick. So, so, like, dad, dad like, gasoline. Yeah, I, yeah I, I was playing defense on third and 17 <laughs> right. with Wasps, son. Oh, Come on, man. But, you know, a lot of people don't ever get a chance to play in a Super Bowl. Yeah, I'd love to have won one of those. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully I can win one before I leave, but. I mean, I look at a guy like Jason Hansen, who uh, played in the same place, who I have a lot of respect for. He's one of the greatest kickers in the history yeah. of the game. Phil Dawson. Uh, Phil Dawson played in Cleveland. Like, I mean, these guys, you know, are not getting the chances like a Mason Crosby or um, a Harrison Bucker, uh, Justin Tucker early in their career, right? So, you know, I, you know, those are guys that I wish they could get an opportunity to experience that because I do think um, there's something to running out of a tunnel uh, during a Super Bowl. Um, now, I don't know what it's like to hold the trophy, Tynesy, but uh, I'm sure you enjoy kissing that thing twice. It's wild, man. I, I'll tell you, I've never been more nervous, to your point, than the first one. I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't take it all in. It was a blur. But the second one, the kids were older. I had been there. I enjoyed it more. I remember it. But, man, there's nothing like kicking in the Super Bowl, Robbie. You, you know that. Like, it's it, – you know – Every kick matters, right? And then on Tuesday, first question you get is the Scott Norwood question. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's the yeah. first question you get that week. And you say, look, I know what I signed up for. I always had his back. I said, Scott Norwood was a great kicker in this league. He missed a 47-yard field goal on grass wide right. I get that. I said, but you guys are discounting. You know, they you discount what he did. He was a good kicker. It's just everyone knows the story and you answer the question you say look i you know i know what i signed up for and you know that could be you poor old poor old. here's what's crazy like one of the greatest kickers in the history of the game was nate kading i'm so glad you brought him up because he could not miss in the regular season and then got into the postseason and it was a totally different he was a totally different dude like doug bryan was the same way i mean i had a lot of respect for doug so i came in to chicago and he was there and i remember him um playing against the the Steelers and had a a tough game and then the Jets kind of moved on but like those are games that no matter how great your career is kind of define your career it's kind of weird like um and then it's a matter of how you rebound from whether you make it or miss it I mean there's a lot of things that could go wrong um you see it every year in the playoffs uh you know Billy Cundiff's another guy that comes to mind you know what I mean like here's a guy who played for a Mm -hmm. long time that's Uh, a great point Robbie that shouldn't be on Billy Cundiff like that whole situation right. where, especially with Harbaugh being a special teams guy, they rushed him out there. I believe they had a timeout, right? I, if I'm not mistaken, they had a timeout, yep. and he rushed that kick. That And guess what? That was the game I'm watching on the Jumbotron in Candlestick right before I'm about to play in the NFC yeah. Championship. And I go, oh, no. Right. So that was things that, that- – that was things I learned as my career got on. Like, I would take a delay on my own. Well, I, I would have called a timeout. I felt comfortable enough in my own skin. If I know we had a timeout and I'm rushing something, I would have went just like yep. this. I did that a couple times, too. Or just take the delay, move it back five yards. No big deal. Let me be set. I, that's a big mistake on Harbaugh's career. You know, like, I think, 
Being yeah. a special teams guy, rushing him out there, knowing you had a timeout, I just don't get that. And I could be wrong, but I believe there was a timeout remaining. Well, it, it, we'll check into it, and if it, if they didn't, we'll let it out, that entire discourse. Uh, i tell you what, why don't we take a quick timeout here, our final break, and we'll come back with a couple of rapid-fire questions for Robbie Gold, Jay Feely, and Lawrence Tynes on this episode of Half Forgotten History. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, here's a sneak peek in what you can learn by watching Trey's Trends each week on the Caesar Sportsbook social media and YouTube channels. The matchup for Super Bowl 56 is set. The NFL will crown a new champion for a 17th consecutive season when the Rams and Bengals square off at SoFi in Los Angeles Sunday, February 13th. Caesar Sportsbook has posted its odds for the 285th and most important game of the 2021 NFL campaign. The Rams opened as three-and-a-half-point favorites over the Bengals before moving to four-and-a-half. The total for the game now 49 points. Recent Super Bowls have turned into dog shows, however. Underdogs are 8-6 and six straight up and 9-5 and five against the spread in the last 14 Super Bowls. That's the most outright wins for underdogs over a 14-game span in Super Bowl history. Though the Bucs defeated the Chiefs last February, AFC teams are 6-3 and three straight up and against the spread in the last nine Super Bowls. To begin the season, the Rams were 14-1 to win the Super Bowl, tying for the fourth lowest odds with the 49ers, Packers, and Ravens. The Bengals, well, that's a different story. They began week one as 125-1 to odds to win the Super Bowl, tying for the Jags and the Jets for the third longest odds. The Lions at 200-1 and the Texans were 250-1. The last team to win with 125-1 to or greater preseason odds and win it all was the Super Bowl in which the 1999 Rams, the greatest show on turf, took it home despite being 150-1. to Kurt Warner led that Rams squad to a title in his second NFL season, something that Joe Burrow is trying to do now for the Bengals. Find more of Trey's Trends at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube with new episodes dropping every Friday. 21 or older, 18 or older in D.C. must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Kickers. You don't love them unless you got to have one, and I've got some of the greats with us here on this episode of Half Forgotten History. So let's do a couple of rapid fires real quickly. Robbie Gold, best kick of your life. What was it? Oh, man, 49 yards against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, The Chicago Bears hadn't won a playoff game in, I think, 11 years uh, in 06, so... I would say that was probably my best one. And then my uh, second one I'd have to put up there would be the Tennessee Titans here at Levi Stadium where we went uh, six for six on the day and beat them uh, to help knock them out of the playoff run a little bit. So those are my two favorite kicks in my career. Jay Feely, what about you? Game winner at Philly overtime after I had my awful game for the Giants and Saturday Night Live did the spoof about me. And they called time out to ice me. During the game, and they played a montage of all my misses on the Jumbotron at Philadelphia during the timeout. It's so Philly. Yeah, you're trying not to, like, watch so it, Philly. trying not to look at it, trying not to listen. I know if I miss this kick, I'm getting cut the next day, and my career is probably over. So to make that kick, and then uh, the next nine years of my career, I didn't miss another game winner. So I think going through that Seattle game, missing and experiencing failure helped me to overcome that fear of failure. Tyzee, what about you? Uh, probably the two NFC championship kicks, the one in Green Bay and the one in San Fran. Um, I mean, those are pretty easy to pick out. I had, you know, my my first game winner of my career was my rookie year against the Raiders on Christmas night. And that was really cool to get your mm-hmm. first one, right? Yeah. Um, at night. I mean, you miss on Christmas Day. Holy cow. <laughs> 
you know, at home in Arrowhead. So I probably have those three up there on my list. Ty, my, my first game winner was, was December 21st or to, December 23rd, my rookie year as well. Yeah, you don't want to miss that one. Yeah, exactly. Man, kickers are like elephants. You guys remember everything. Okay, now now let me ask you this question. Okay, the best kick you ever saw from somebody else. I was like, damn, I can't believe he did that. Uh, cool, let's start with you. It's, is it Benetary yeah. in the snow? Yeah. Is, is, it not, is it not even a debate, the tuck rule game? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the best. I think his play. is 1A. I think his is 1A and mine is 1B. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie? Just to be humble. Do you know the the only other one I would put up there would be Justin Tucker, his sixty six yard field goal. I think that, that yeah. I mean that's just the guy's ridiculous. never missed a game winning kick in his career. And I mean, that's a pretty big time kick. Well, I, I'm ridiculous. I'm glad you brought up his name because we're all competitive, right? And you're still a, you're still going. But at the end of the day, like it's hard not to look at Justin Tucker and say, he might He's be, the best that's ever done it. Right? Yeah. Right? I don't think there's any question in my mind. You know, when you look at He's got more. He's got more seasons over ninety percent than he does under ninety percent, which is just ridiculous. Like you know, you're trying to have one or two years where you're over ninety percent in your career, you know, and he does it every single year. And he's kicking long field goals. It's not like you know they don't kick long field goals. Harbaugh will will be content to kick a fifty-five yard game winner and not try to get extra yardage. You know, I mean, what he does is is so spectacular. I'm just so impressed by him. Here's what I'll tell you about Justin. He has all the intangibles. He can hit every specialty kick. He can kick the ball deep. He can hang it on kickoffs and keep it in play. That helps them on special teams. He's made every big kick. I think the other thing you have to look at in his career, which you know I'm very thankful that he has uh, Harbaugh there, is he's had the same holder his entire career. Yeah. yeah. And Robbie, I'm so glad you brought that up, Robbie. That is so important. Like that operation he has is flawless. flawless. It's like kicking in practice. I did a special on it on air on CBS and just showed how good, you know, Morgan Cox was there for a long time. He's not there anymore, but you know, the snap was always perfect and the laces were great and Sam would get the ball down perfect. And so he could see it and he could be aggressive and they're, the way they did their job allowed him to be as good as he is. Yeah. I think if the other thing you look at is he's also doing in Baltimore, you know, again, in the AFC North, we talked about how hard that is, you know, every, uh, week I go through and watch every special teams game. Uh, we do reports on every kicker, kind of goes situationally, just something pops up. Um, he's by far the best to ever do it. There's no doubt about it. No question. Wow. Well, we'll see how his uh, career progresses. Guys, this was a lot of fun for me. Like, kickers are always sort of this weird fraternity. Uh, you guys are some of the best to ever do it in some of the greatest situations of all time. So I, I appreciate you being part of this. And remember, you always say you don't need a kicker until you need a kicker. Once again, thanks to Lawrence Tynes, Shea Feely, and of course, Robbie Gold, still the most accurate postseason kicker in NFL history for joining us. We'll see what happens with Robbie's career going forward. But coming up next, the Rams are in the Super Bowl, and we've got a very special guest that knows a thing or two about the Rams franchise winning the Super Bowl. That is wide receiver Torrey Holt, who's also a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We'll talk to him next week. We'll see you then. Yeah.